What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that is at thecoachesnet. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Yeah, Gerard, let's dive straight in, man. You know, like you said, it's a real privilege to be here and, you know, let's not waste any time and get into the heart of it. So, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about a few different things in terms of, you know, how to maybe work with individuals within the group, um, what it looks like in terms of what our session objectives should, where, where they should start from. And obviously, this is building on from that. You know, we're looking at how might developing individuals impact my game model. So... Talk to me. Tell me your thoughts. What you th- you know? What your first thoughts on the question? How do you have you perceived it? And we'll go from there. Yeah, man. I think it's a great question because you know my question back to the group as well is how much of our game model is based on this predetermined sort of our own, uh, I guess, perspective and, and idealistic views of how the game should be played, which is of course a part of it, versus our a game model in which that's probably more flexible and adaptable based on the players that we have at our disposal and what they can do. And it's not to say that, 
you know, it's interesting. You can't put a limit on players' potential. You want to create environments what tap into their strengths, whilst also recognising the players that you're working with. But then you look at, you know, what Deserby has done at, at Brighton and the way he's got them playing, and it's very different. And you'll see a lot of coaches who have gone into certain clubs where, you know, managers have, have sort of described, oh, the players aren't good enough, they can't play this certain way. And the tr-. But then you've had other coaches who, you know, have developed a, a framework in which individuals within that framework can flourish. So I think it's a great question around, you know, how might developing individuals impact my game model? Because I think ultimately we've got, a, I guess, where I went with it, whether it's right or wrong, is what's our game model based on? Is it based on effectively these tactical patterns, which typically game models are, they encompass this, this idealistic view of how the game should be played based on these tactical patterns of play. And it's considered fundamental importance for the, the, the success of the team. And then obviously there's principles of play that, that encompass it in the, in the different moments of the game. But actually, what about the individual within that? You know, is there, is there a place for actually going, well, if we're thinking about the individual, that's going to impact our game model. Because if we can create something where it's, it's more, uh, I don't know if realistic is the right word, Yaz, but flexible in which players can operate under changing circumstances based on what the opposition do, based on what we do, but as this view of the principles of play which don't change in the game, and it's how players operate within that, then then you know that's going to impact how we develop individuals and how individuals operate within our game model, within our system, because it goes hand in hand. Because then it's it's going to be shaped around how the coaches creating these environments for players to have a bit more autonomy, which evolves the game model, right? Or is it a prescriptive one where it's, no, this is how we view the game. This is our idealistic, you know, we can only press in this way. We can only play out in this way. We can only do this in this way. In which case, then that will have an effect on the individuals which will affect the game model. So it's, for me, I think the, the two go, the, you can't do one without the other. Do you know what I mean? The, the coupled. Um, it's quite fascinating. I don't know what your initial thoughts are. Yeah, there's so many, so many different directions you can go in as usual. And I think um, there's a couple of things probably worth highlighting here. You're talking about developing individuals and how it impacts on the game model. Um, I think it's finding the balance, isn't it, in, in terms of how far are we going to develop the individuals um, versus how how much importance do we put on the game model itself. And, you know, just to kind of stress, I'm not really a fan of the word game model or the, or the phrase anyway. But, you know, fundamentally, that's just one part of it. It's does developing the individual go against what you're looking to get out from your game model if if that if it, if it does how does that then influence your game model you know and if it does take priority in terms of your game model is recruitment a big piece here you know are we are, you know being aware that so many people in this conversation and even wider are working in so many different environments where some of us may not even get to decide what the game model is that we're operating with and it might be dictated to us so how much of an influence does that have a part to play and then I'm also then thinking within that if our game model is one thing and then we're in an environment where we've basically been told this is how we want the teams to play, do we then understand that well enough to be able to support the individuals in how they fit in with that or are we still viewing it from the development perception of our game model 
developing the individuals for that. They're trying to get them to fit into this system as well. So I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, it does. a few different kind of bubbling through my head as you're talking there. Yeah, because I think what we've got to consider is that ultimately the the game model should provide a, a guide, right, in terms of how we view the game or an identity. I think it is important. I think we do need to have that identity of is there a, a clear understanding? It's all about clarity at the end of the day. Clarity of, you know, when we've got the ball in the opponent's half, what are we looking to do? How are we creating those opportunities to, to score goals? When we're defending in our own half, how are we preventing them from being able to, to score goals? You know, if we look at the game simple and then we create principles around that, that won't change irrespective of formation or, or whatever. But then... I guess the challenge then is we've got to have that clear identity and that clear vision because that's going to influence and shape the language that we use and the intentions that we're, we're going after within our sessions or even on a game day. You know, how we're communicating that message to players for them to be able to execute the mission. You know, so I think for me, you know, if we're thinking about the the question which is, developing individuals impact game model I think we've got to view it as well what does your game model look like and then how does that shape you know the vision of that future player or that current player that we're trying to develop like how do they fit within that system if you like I don't mean system in the sense of the formation or the animation I mean the system as in the, the overriding uh, that's it model that, 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 that uh, view of the game so for me, if we're saying that we want players to be problem solvers, uh, self-learners, be adaptable, be able to make decisions, which they need to be able to do, and we want players to play off instinct as well, and you only get that through experience, accumulated you know, experience, um, which is situational, then we've got to think about, okay, well then, you know, what does that look like for the time I practice? Because if, I, if, I'm, if I've got this game model that, is based on us being effective in possession, finding different ways to play forward, look forward, look to, to you know, break lines. When we lose the ball, we're preventing them from playing through us. We're, we're going to disrupt their play. We've got different, you know, we recognise these principles that operate within the moments of the game. And then, you know, the functions then of the player. Well, then, for me, the individual then piece is, well, you know, how are we developing the key qualities of a player to be able to operate within that model? And then that's where I think it gets interesting because does the player almost evolve beyond the model? Or is the model, and maybe this is where the question comes in about the impact with my model, is the model in some cases redundant? If it's not, if, if we're designing something that's quite prescriptive or overly prescriptive, does that limit us in, in how we can develop players? Right, or if we've got something that's quite clearly defined, but we recognise that there's flexibility, so it's not so much what, but it's how. So we're saying to players, you know, how you do that is is up to you. They've got to recognise the moments when to go five yards in or drop five yards, or whether to change shape and animation, whether to run in behind or run support. You know, these are decisions, aren't they? As like they're these are player actions that principle to break a line 
is based on so many different factors that the game changes. So, but that's based on the opposition as well, isn't it? So for me, it's if we've got this view of the the player um, being this self learner, problem solver, somebody that can identify and and make decisions on time and space, which we know change. Well, then we've got to have a game model that reflects that. That's how it might impact our game models. We've got to have a game model that basically has principles, but within that, it's sort of saying to the players, well, you know, these might, you have to decide when you play, play through, when you play around, when you play in between, how you play in between, stay between, when you, when you arrive in the box, when you don't, when you do this, when you, because ultimately, we, otherwise, we're going to create a, a system which is based around, for me, description and prescription, which then limits that key quality around, you know, disguise and deception, you know, and, and, and surprise, you know. Because when I was reading the question, Yaz, I actually asked myself, well, what is my game model? Like, if I was to define it in a word... Or even like the way I want my teams to play. How would I want them to play? And one of them was exciting because I think like the game is a, we're in the entertainment business. We want to we want to have fun playing football. But the other one, Yaz, for me was surprise. Now that was a word for me, and I'm interested. You know, for anyone listening, what words would you use? Because to me, surprise then influenced. All right, well, if surprise is one. How am I developing the individual's impact that game model then? Because if I want surprise, that means so I'm linking this back now, Yaz, is that, that means that you know, um I want players that can, you know, trick people, be deceptive, do stuff that might not always be orthodox. So then that's gonna have an impact on on my game model, isn't it? But if I've got this game model where nope, we only play in this way. And this is how they move, and you move in this way, and it's more about patterns than principles. Then ultimately, you know, in playing English, you're going to be predictable. And I'm seeing this now, you know, in a lot of teams and certain teams I've worked for, you know, recently or, or in the past, where teams have sussed out how they're going to play. They know what system they're going to play. They know what players are going to play. They know how they're going to play, and it becomes predictable. They know they're always going to build out in this particular way. It's more based on patterns, so there's no there's no um, intelligence on the players, and because of that, there's no creativity, and then that for me has an impact on the game model because the the game model then becomes more uh, rigid, you know. And there's probably a lot there, Yaz, but it's it's interesting to you know get your thoughts and even anyone listening, you know, because it's we're often constrained by these models, aren't we? Good or bad. Mm. Uh, yeah, no. Again, I'm just thinking as you're speaking, and I'm thinking there's kind of two main thoughts in my head now as well. One, does your game model? Well, surely it does, but you know, does your is your game model consistent? And what I mean by that is, if you're in if you're in a program or if you're at a club or an organisation, are your game models consistent across the age groups? Do you have a different way of playing across the age groups? Or you know, if if so, how does that then impact the development in terms of how we're supporting the individual? Are we supporting the individual to become better players or become uh, quote unquote masters of the game model that you're trying to implement? So there's, there's, there's two sides to that, isn't there? And then it's in looking at well, depending on the age and stage and what the outcome of the organisation is, or even the players and the coach involved. Well, what what is development in that process? 
is it is it to help the players become better players? If so, what are better players? Better players, like I said, operating within that game model, or understanding the game, and being able to take that in, you know that insight, that experience, that knowledge that's been built and picked up on to other environments as they as they progress their journeys, right? So there's, I think there's a few different factors in there, and I'm thinking to myself, well, how stubborn do you have to be if the game model isn't the one that's suiting the players? Is there room for that? You know, as a coach, are you prepared to, to move away from your game model, understanding that actually the players just don't fit what it is that you're trying to get to get them to do? Um, and, or in fact, that the game model that you're trying to implement, there's layers to the process of getting there that either A, the players aren't quite ready to step up to because they need maybe an earlier, earlier layer of the onion, if you like. Um, or is it a case of actually... As as the sessions go in, or as the sessions are going on, or seasons going on, the weeks going on, you realise actually this game model now now needs to be adapted to maybe suit the needs of the players and what what's in front of me. Again, it's that it's that question of is it recruitment versus development? Because if it's development, then it, you know that question is: Are these players ready to play at this level? Do I, as a coach, have the knowledge and experience and the the skill sets to be able to pro, you know progress them from where they're at into playing this game model? And if you know, I think the question you've really kind of put out there is, well, what if they've really passed this game, or what if they, what if their their knowledge, their experience, and their skill sets are actually going above and beyond what's expected and what's required for this game model to operate? It, it, would that be fair in what what you said? Yeah, a lot. I I, I think so, and I, it's interesting because if I reflect on some of the clubs I've worked in where I've I've sort of created it or even I've been um, you know basically prescribed it. You know, if you're a part-time coach or whatever, or you come into a club and it's like, hey, this is our philosophy, this is our game model, this is how we play, this is how we want our teams to play, and then it's for me, there's got to be that constructive alignment because if we're saying that we want a certain quality of a player, well, then does that link to the the same sort of paradigm, if you like, the same view of how we want to how we want our game to be played? And then when I look at you know, even recent interviews where I know you'll hear coaches or players or ex-players talk about patterns and stuff, but then you listen to the new generation of players where they're talking about that freedom. And it's not total free. It's not like complete, you know, do whatever the hell you want. There has to be certain moments where there's clear, I don't know if rules is the right word, but there's clear guidance on, well, this is how you, you you may go about dealing with this particular situation. So, you know, so there's clarity. But players are able to make decisions. I think that's what makes the game beautiful, isn't it? You know, our game is based on that unpredictability. You never quite know what's going to happen. You know, I think um, that's what, you know, you look at other sports, there's so much more predictability. Whereas our sport is one of those sports where, you know, and I saw this recent video and it was bang on what, what Guardiola said, where he, he was described, uh, he was asked about football, soccer, and he said, well, it's different to other sports because, you know, in basketball, the more shots you have or the more attempts on goal, the more possession, probably higher, even though there's a lot of transitions in basketball, but he was going through different sports, the more likely you're going to win the, the match. Whereas in, in football, you know, you don't always have to have the most possession but you can still win the game. You know, you don't even have to necessarily play a, a particular way. 
but through whether it's luck, through randomness, whatever it may be, it's how you're exploiting certain, you know, space and that unpredictability. You know, there's a lot of transitions in football, um, as we've seen from the World Cup. And I think what that's then told me is, you know, if there's this natural turnover in the game and players are disorganised, you're not always in, a, in a, an ideal organised shape. You know, why aren't we designing models or gate or yeah, so game models or even player development training sessions that are geared around dealing with um, how players arrive to situations? Because often when we design a session, would you agree, Yaz? It's pretty much the defence is organised. They're already in an organised shape. Attack is already in an organised shape. As they're playing, it will become you know slightly more fluid and there's that ebb and flow. But if we think about the game, there's a lot of transitions where we've had possession. And they're, they're in a block and they're quite organised. But at some point, there's a turnover. There's another turnover. You're uh, back in. And then you're looking to score, you know, and you, you've literally just got the ball back. And then within a couple of passes, you've, you've had a shot on goal. So I'm wondering, should the game model, recognising that the game is built on transitions, should the game model be more flexible? I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, I get you. I think, I think it's important for us to understand what the game is you know, asking of the players. I think within that, I'm just now thinking wider. Sorry, I know I dipped in and out there. But yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are, Yaz. Just saying how should our game model be more flexible and then how that influences how we develop the players? Yeah, I think there's a few bits in there. So this is recognising, obviously, that the game model will change based on, obviously, the coach, but then recognising that there's a wider game principles that we need to kind of adhere to, right? I think you hit the nail on the head with what you, know, what you said about Guardiola and, and how he's compared football to other sports and that. Well, you don't necessarily have to have the most possession. You don't have to have the least possession. You know, there's still there's still ways you can win the game. There's many ways to do it, right? Um, I think fundamentally, when you look at it from a tactical perspective, this I think this is this is the challenge. You know, there is no one right way, um, other than the way that's going to work towards winning the game, if you like. And I think you know, if coaches are looking at how 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 we win in the game, how we how we progress in the individuals to understand how to win games. Um, at what stage of their journey should they be starting to educate players around what it looks like to win a game? You know, I saw a post earlier somewhere talking about, you know, um, how do I get under nines to work, um, posi- play positionally? And it's like, well, you shouldn't. <laughs> they're, not, they're not going to. You've got to understand the age and stage of development they're at, right? So I think in terms of, I think the, the question within this is obviously looking at developing the individual's pieces. Well, how early should we really be introduced into a game model if there is one even? Should we just let them explore at an earlier stage and, and understanding actually just how to operate within the game rather than looking at it as, right, here's how, one, how we want it done in a specific way? Should there be a real strategy outlined for them? At what point does that come in? So I think for me, I'm looking at that and saying, well, really, and maybe this is a broad statement, but maybe we don't want to start looking at any sort of game model at all until they start getting to 11 v 11 football. Maybe. I don't know. Is it just before that, uh, getting them to understand different ways in which in which the functions of the game can look? So, i.e., what does it look like to, you know, if we really want to hunt the ball back from the players and we press them really aggressively, what does it look like if, you know, we, we don't do that? You know, is there any instruction around just sitting off so that we're really educating them and understanding right how different strategies can actually impact 
and then by the time they get to that eleven v eleven stage or even the back end of nine v nine if they're if they are playing that format, then we start to explain to them right okay here's how the game model looks here's here's some of the strategies that we've worked with and explored within the build up stage to this um and now here's how the few you know here these are the kind of fundamentals that we're going to go with going forward and these are the reasons why but then i think the, the challenge for me is when we talk about game model and this could just be the semantics here but is game model dictating to the players that we're all like i think you've basically said this earlier that that this is the way that we're going to play we're always going to play this way it's not going to be adaptable and if it is adaptable then is it really a game model at all it's just something to think about in terms in terms of in terms of that i'm not sure um but you've got your hand up there go for it man yeah, all I was... Can you hear me okay? Is that better? Yeah, I can hear you now, mate. So all I was going to say was, I mean, I, I think there needs to be... It dep- the, there has to be a clear identity in how you want to play. I, I do believe in the model, even at the younger ages. I think I've seen it both ways, because I've tried it both ways in my own argument, where I've gone, okay, U9s. What if we're giving them... You know, and I listen to Pete Sturgis. I think Pete's fantastic, by the way. Uh, but then I listen to Pete where it's like, hey, and the message is what he says is bang on about premature professionalism and he's bang on. And, you know, training them like miniature adults and what the adult game is, bang on, that's correct. You know, and we do have to be aware of what does their game look like. But then I've also, you know, unless I've misinterpreted his message, but from stuff that I've been on or even like other FA coaches, and I know we mentioned before that the game being the teacher, you know, previous messages, that, that, that phrase, if you like, it's been took to the extreme because then I've seen it where, like Pete, if it's all let them play their kids, well, then it's just a, it's just a mess. You know, it's all over. And, and the mess is, yes, messy is okay if it's organised chaos, I think, because if it's too, if there's no clear positions and no understanding, not only are you going to get frustrated coaches, you're going to get frustrated parents, but it's very difficult to argue, no, 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 it's about learning, it's about development, because the the coach who's coaching against you, who's got a clear shape, and has kids who are dropping in and receiving the ball and playing forward and making different types of, they're going to kill you. So it's, I think it's, therefore for me is, we. I think you've got to have a model at the younger ages, at every age, I think at 4v4, 3v3, it's got to be as simple as it's the main focus is the guiding focus is dribbling and scoring goals. Attack together, defend together. Attack the goal, defend the goal. And it's just one clear message. And you're not talking about pressing, <laughs> timing, angle. You're just letting the kids get familiar with the ball and they're going to dribble, they're going to crash into each other. But that's part of learning. They're going to get loads of goals scored. They're going to get defend, you know, and defend. If it's seven v seven, there's a bit more structure because now you've got a keeper, you've got offsides, you've got other factors, um, and then at nine v nine, eleven v eleven, and it just becomes more structured, doesn't it? Which is how we've designed it as a, as federations. But I think there has to be that identity. I think going off the points we've said before is, can the game model be flexibility within a framework? Meaning that we've got this, we've got these moments in the game of how we want to play. But what we're saying to the players is, hey, you get to decide. Like you might dribble your way out of trouble there. You might play back to the keeper here and go out the other door. You might play through. You might go beyond. 
that's like how you do it is up to you, but it's not prescriptive in that we must. Um, I had this debate years ago. I remember a coach or player, and it was stupid, really. I won't say the name of the coach, but we're playing um, a Cat 2 Academy. This is in one of my last roles. And he was saying, Oh, you're not teaching the kids how to play out from the back. And I was like, What game is this guy watching? And the kid was just recognizing that, hey, if they're going to squeeze up, we can go beyond. And he was hitting the number nine. And he was like, no, that's direct. But what's wrong with that, Yaz? Do you know what I mean? Like, he was saying, no, 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 our model is at this age, we should be encouraging them to play out from the back. And his play out from the back was play short, build up, progress, right? But for the kid, it's like, well, actually, that's on. And it's not just a hill house or a smash it long. It was a no. They're actually the space in behind and the principle of plays don't change. I'm going to exploit the space. I'm going to go beyond. And they've not sussed out how to deal with it. So I'm going to keep doing it until they defend, you know, they drop. And now the space is short to play. And so I think the game model's got to be like, if we're playing against a certain team and they're physical and they're direct and they're this and they're that, well, then how are we going to defend that? So then it becomes more about players interacting with the environment versus a prescription and description, which is we can only do X, Y, Z in these moments. That's where, for me, I think it, it impacts individual development, which impacts the model. Um, so, yeah, I don't have any thoughts on it. would be great to, you know, what's everyone's thoughts in the room listening? You know, how does this shape you and how you've worked in clubs? You know, there's a lot of experience in the room, um, work at different levels. So it would be great to get people's insights on, you know, what's been shared already and what they agree or disagree on. Yeah, no, I think you make, I make a point, but I think it's really coming back to what we said previously, right? And that, that, yeah, you can have a game model, but fundamentally we want the players to understand how to play the game in, 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 in its entirety before we actually start directing them around how to actually go after a strategy or a system or a way of playing, if you like. And I think if they're going down that road too early, then are we impacting their ability to assess and, uh, and analyse on what impacts their performance as a, as a general thing? And then I'm I'm thinking wider in terms of right if we're developing individuals in terms of that. I, I think I think that I'm, I'm looking at the pros and cons and saying well, what what would some of the benefits? Well, some of the benefits possibly would be that if you're very clear that this is the strategy and system you're going to play and this is the way that you want the system to run through the organisation that you're working with. I think in in many respects it. Does it does it become easier to maybe identify player profiles and maybe roles and responsibilities and what that looks like and maybe use that to support the individual development of the players within it? I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but then it's just looking at, you know, what are the layers to this? So, for instance, again, my mind's just racing here, but I'm thinking, could it be that you've got, ent- you know, if you look at it as, as an organisation, right, you've got entry level, you've got... Um, You've got, the, you've got the staff on the floor, you've got your supervisor, you've got your manager, and then you've got, you've got you know, the boss, <laughs> however you want to view it. And it could be right, at, at the younger ages, it's, well, when they come in at entry level, what do they need to operate with as a player profile to fit this game model? And then as the game progresses, then it starts to become more, there's more roles and more responsibilities as they go up the ladder, if that makes sense. Go on, go on you've got your hand up, go for it. No, that's right. I mean, of course, because cerebrally, cognitively, players are developing, aren't they? As you get older, you can understand more concepts and the depth of the concepts. But the point I was going to just ask there, and again, I want people to chime in. It'd be great to get people's thoughts on this. Is uh, Years ago, we had this position-specific profiles, right? 
is the profiles now going away from that in the sense that because we know the game is the game's always evolving, but we're we're really going after key qualities of a player, aren't we? Well, with well, if that's what people want, I know for the teams I want to develop, I want players that can play with, as I said before, disguise, surprise, instinct, and and find solutions. So because of that, does that mean that it's less about hey, you're number seven, you're number nine, you're number six? Not that those positions don't matter because you're going to have a shape and a structure, but as we know, the system changes, doesn't it? And that's at every level. You know, anyone who's watched teams I'm working with, it's not blowing my trumpet. There's coaches at every level that do this, even if it's 77 or whatever. You, you know, you'll see coaches that are rigid and you can see the lines, but you'll see others where it's like the kids are moving and interchanging positions randomly. They might have started as a centre-back, but they could end up as a centre-forward and things like that. And then you look at what that looks like even at the top level playing positions do they even exist as much as they do in the sense of like you can only play that set position throughout the game is it now more universality and in which case is that suggesting that you know the game model has to reflect that we need players who can operate in any position because they're so technically proficient and tactically astute and physically capable that they can dip in and out of different positions so the shape becomes organic and forever changing based on what the opposition are doing and what we want to do to them. That's what I was going to ask as there was, you know, like you've got those buckets of positional profiles, but actually could the profile just be as simple as these are the key qualities we want and how that relates to our, how that impacts our game model. Because ultimately if we want players that are these problem solvers, it might go away from that initial traditional model that we had Years ago, and it's not saying to, I'm not suggesting to reinvent the wheel. I'm just saying how it may change slightly. But again, there's a you know your thoughts and a lot of experience in the room. It'd be interesting to hear you know what what people are thinking. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, and I think you know there, like you said, there is so much experience in the room, and it's, you know, there's obviously some people who work in organisations where there is a clear game model. Some people work in organisations where they're the ones in charge of it. So I think I think it'll be interesting to get different perspectives on this. But I think. Coming back to what you said, there is, yeah, you do have those, you know, those buckets of you know player profiles and positions, position specific profiles. But I think the challenge is as well, George. You know, if we're really you know, depending on the organisation and what the outcomes they're going after, they're really talking about building creativity into their program and getting their players to become more, have more freedom, have more creativity, be player led, and all that stuff. I'm not saying it's right or wrong either, but that fundamentally throws a spanner in the works, right? Because if they're going to become more creative and have more freedom. And you can't really have a profile to fit that because the profile and the, and the creativity that they then demonstrate and exhibit off the back of it might go against what you're actually demonstrating as, a, as, as the ideal profile for that player, right? I think I'm looking at it now, I'm just saying to myself, okay, well, game model. What, what am I thinking about when I look at game model? Well, I've got, I've got to have a clear strategy and, and process in possession. I've got to have a clear strategy and process out of possession. And I've got to have some clear guidelines and maybe direction around what it looks like in transition, right? Going from in to out or out to in. So therefore, one thing's for certain, there's going to be some key moments or key types of, um, I don't even know if the patterns are the best way to describe it, but there's going to be, there's going to be key patterns of movements or key patterns of uh, build-up play that are going to exist. So I think it might be best looking at that and saying, as an example, 
if we're a team that likes to you know build through the thirds well what does that actually look like or if we're a team that you know when we when we're looking to build up build up our play we're not actually looking to build through the thirds so the therefore if we're looking at technical components now if you're looking at players who operate in the mid in the defending third as an example we want them to be more comfortable hitting the ball along longer over longer distances whereas the guys in the midfield we want them to be comfortable playing over shorter distances or whatever that might look like and have maybe be a bit more specific around that and then it just you know then it lends itself to me you know thinking around well, how does that then affect the practices you know if we if we've got a game model we're looking at developing individuals within that can you really develop individuals fully within that within that environment? Can you you know can you get around to being specific with individual development, or is it a case of actually, you know, you got your you got your overall game model, you're delivering your sessions as you are, and you know you're just working through players one at a time through you know drive by coaching or, um, a, you know, almost a, a technical kind of circuit that you're kind of designing in a way where it fits in with the, with the movement actions or the or the technical components that are exhibited in the way that you want your game model to operate if that makes sense um i don't know if it does but i'm just thinking out loud there and and then you know then that makes me think about this question here and you know how much of this is really possible if you're working by yourself and how does that then impact you and if you're working alongside someone else while trying to get this done have you guys got the same perception of what the game model should look like and how it should operate and what the individuals within that should do so i don't know just throwing a Throwing another consideration in there just for people to think about. It'd be good to get anyone's views that want, you know wants to share or has any insight on anything that that they've done in the past, or even has any views on on what we've said so far. But I'll, in the meantime, Tony, I'll bring it over to you, mate. Good evening. How are you? You there, Tony? Yeah. Sorry, mate. I missed you there. I, I missed you bringing me on. I, I saw that you'd made me uh, uh, able to speak, but I didn't hear anything. Can you hear me? Okay. Got you loud and clear, mate. Great stuff. So, um, because somebody outed me last week as being a secret bathing and speaking coach, I'm not in the bath this week, just to let everybody uh, be rest assured. Um, yeah, it's a, it's another of those really good topics and and one that hopefully a few more people will, will chirp up on once I've uh, done my usual uh, spanner in the works. I I kind of wonder. It was you, Simo. Yeah. Um, I I kind of wonder, actually, how many clubs, how many coaches that are listening? I know there's one or two that are probably working at a decent level. How many coaches have actually got what they believe to be a game model? Because I I almost guarantee that three five years ago. If we were talking about game models, the majority of coaches, particularly in, in grassroots, wouldn't wouldn't discuss game model. They 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 might have what they consider to be um, a style of play or a way of of playing that their team within their club had. Um, certainly, my experience when I worked for the FA as a coach mentor. Um, there wasn't much um, congruence within within clubs. It was they all wore the same kit, they all wore the same badge, but they didn't have the same idea about how the game should be played. Um, whether that was, um, you know, individually, collectively, 
do we play long? Are we playing to win? Do we share equal game time, etc., etc.? So I think that that's a, that's a really big consideration. And this is in, in no way meant to, to disparage what you guys are doing and, and what you two guys are talking about. But you're probably operating on a level that is way above the heads of the, the majority of the audience. Uh, I might be wrong, but until other people join in with these discussions, we'll never know. Um, the bit that Gerard w- was just speaking about a minute ago with regard to, to the positions, it's, a lot of people on here will have seen some of the stuff that I've shared around player, um, different age groups, different positions, having different roles and responsibilities. When Gerard was speaking, then it kind of led me to think from a discussion that I've had with with my group this this last week. We're talking about playing four diamond two, um, and me sending out the, the the template of the roles and responsibilities. And actually, now I'm thinking because of what I said to them, those roles and responsibilities actually belong to an area of the pitch rather than an individual player, because as Gerard quite rightly pointed out your centre forward uh, your centre back might end up in the centre forward position does he know what what in in my terms are the roles and responsibilities of the centre forward so what i've said to the players and they they bear in mind they're only 13 uh, they're not academy players i'm not working in academy football anymore is when i send you this sheet i need you to look at it but you need to know your job. So if you think that you're a, and I'm going to use their parlance rather than mine, if you think you're a CDM, look at the roles and responsibilities of the number four, but you also need to know some of the roles and responsibilities of the number six, the number eight, the five who plays behind you. So it's a lot more complicated, I guess, for the players. Um, and I think that there's, there's, depending on their level, or depending on their age, there's a there's a very finite amount of information that we want to be giving them. Yes, do you want to go in on me to respond? How would you want to do it? Have you got any thoughts on your end? Yeah, just just really quickly, Tom. I think you make a great point there. You know, it, it this could this could be a conversation that might be um, above where certain people are coaching. But I think fundamentally, I think what we look at is people in this room. And for the right reasons, and I think that's the, that's the main piece. And I think it's people looking to fill those knowledge gaps and get that experience. And you know, as much as it is um, important for us to be in these rooms, it's, I think it's just as important for us to be in these rooms, maybe challenge, sharing. You know, sometimes, like you said, like like we do as well, Gerard and Tony yourself, play devil's advocate on some of the views and thoughts that have been put out there, just to kind of really extract more from it. So I think even if you're not necessarily working at a level where these are some of the considerations you're making. I think just being in the room and just starting to hear something, you know, it'd be good to share your thoughts because I think it's a learning experience for people on both ends of the spectrum, right? Um, so I think, you know, that's the first piece. And I think, you know, in terms of what you just said there, Tony, about getting the players to understand one another's roles, I think that's just as important because especially when you're working at a grassroots level, you know, at a less experienced level, they're probably not thinking about how their role impacts everyone else. So I think it's a great point, to be honest. And, it, you know, it's just looking at, you know, I was working with a group of players recently and, uh, you know, a, a, a central midfielder was, and the question was, do I go out and um, 
pressing the wide area or does the, or do I, if the fullback's too deep and thinking, well, actually, this is really important. This kind of ties into what you said, right? And understanding, well, when does the fullback come out? When does the centre mid maybe drop in and cover instead? Because typically what would happen is that central midfielder, you know, in a lot of grassroots football, in my observations, we just go out and press and it's like, well, you fundamentally killed the shape of the team by doing that. And it's just having that, recon- that you know, that recognition of that type of situation and how that then impacts on the wider team. So I think it's a great shout tone in terms of getting the players to understand what does it look like for one another if this player makes this decision, how does that then impact this decision? And I think one of the messages I try and get across to players, especially if you're looking at that example again in an out-of-possession perspective, as players generally, you know, we get told, communicate we need to make sure we communicate but no one ever really i don't think enough goes into teaching the players what to communicate or when to communicate and it's almost one of the things i've kind of gone down with on that road it's if you see a player make a decision and you're not sure whether they're going to go with you know whether it's the right or wrong decision you need to support it if you have other views you need to be confident enough to but to you know to challenge it in the moment so if tony goes to press the ball and then gerard decides he's going to go as well but I'm saying, well, hold on a second. We don't need to be doing that right now. It's my responsibility by recognising that to make sure I pull you two back in or at least communicate that with you. Now, it could be a split moment thing. It could be a timing thing that might be might mean the communication might be too late or it might be too slow to get out to you and we can affect what's happening in the team there. But fundamentally, if I don't understand what your role is and even understand more importantly what my role is within that, I'm not going to be able to have those types of communication moments. So just something to think about there. I don't know if you've got anything you want to add on that, Tony, or even Gerard yourself. I was just going to go back to what Tony said, which was, I mean, I, I do think people are probably more aware of game models or just the concepts because, you know, it's a buzzword, isn't it? That's, and people, are, we've got more access to video now than probably ever before. And, you know, even events like this or even others where you're seeing video footage on social media and things like that, I think people are becoming more curious. The England DNA has probably inspired a bit of thinking you know, around, you know, how do we look? What are the principles of play? How do we want to play and all that? So I think um, just going back to Tony's point, I think it's an interesting one because if we're talking about players, realistically, the, the, the qualities that players need to be able to make, if we've got a game model that's, our model is we want to find ways to break lines, exploit space, uh, time and space. And, you know, effectively, you, you're developing that quality of, like, search, discover, exploit, right? Because the game's based on time and space, uh, numbers, and it's, ever, it's forever changing, isn't it? Well, that principle then doesn't change, you know. So, yes, it'll look slightly different if I'm at centre-back or if I'm in the middle of the park where you know, there's more stuff going on around me versus if I'm in a different position and there's more things going on in front of me as opposed to behind me. Or if I'm in other areas of the field where, and based on my, my sort of, my body shape, my orientation, there might be stuff going on more behind me than in front of me and around me. If you were to look at it as like percentages. But equally, the, 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 the quality to be able to keep the ball and be able to find a, a free player to play forward to create a goal scoring opportunity that those qualities like you know Tony was saying about areas of the field you know the is it going away from the position specific thing and, and I think that's where it's interesting I mean I, I want to I mean to know what Paul you know your experiences from a goalkeeping perspective 
because that'll be interesting and insightful and or even you know Paul McGuinness and, and anyone else who's like Tony where you've worked in sort of senior positions and you've got experience of seeing players go through that journey you know looking back now are you looking at it thinking like what what you know what went really well what was really bad you know because we you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. We've put these systems in place of how we're developing players, right? But... A lot of it, there'll have been players that progressed by accident, not necessarily by design. They'll have got, you know, we would have won games, not because we've got this fancy PowerPoint that says our game model is X. We'll have won it because certain players could play off instinct and they've won us the game. Do you know? So, I, and then how many have we lost in spite of the system? You know, how many didn't get through because of the, the structures that we put in place? So that's why I'm throwing it out to, to everyone listening, you know, to engage and share your experiences and, and even Tony as well and that because I'm interested to know what you guys think around, you know, are we getting it right? Are we getting it wrong? What, what, what needs to change slightly within this? You know, because that has an impact on how we're developing the individuals. It's the, it's the belief system that we've got in place. Sorry, Yaz, I saw your hand go up. Yeah, just, just on that point there, I think it's, it's really important to identify and maybe highlight and even challenge coaches around this because I'm sure you've seen it, but 
how many times have we seen exactly what you just described, where this is the game model, this is the way that we want to play. Players go and get some sort of success because they've actually understood how just to play the game. They've had influence within the game based on their own individuality. But then the coach then attributes that to a game model that actually wasn't exhibited or delivered. I, I, what you know? Have you thought about that? Have you, have you, have you had experiences of that before? Yeah, 100%. And even there's people who have... I mean, how many players have gone against the game model, if you like? Well, let's just don't even, like, you know, players doing things... I'll give... Well, here's one example um, where I remember one of the lads, I won't say who it was, but he was doing... He was getting assessed for his AYA. And uh, we were working on... on um, well, we were playing... It was a Premier League floodlit cup, under-15s. Um, I was there anyway because I was head of coach. I was covering the session. And the coach was uh, at the game, sorry. And anyway, long story short, on other coaches, um, they had a particular way of like our team, we always high press, we always do this, we always do that. And our game model is this X, Y, Z. And the players actually did the, <laughs> the direct. I was laughing because obviously I've had a coach, I'm watching, I'm observing. Players did the bloody direct opposite to what the coach was asking Yaz. And I don't know if it was necessarily a disrespect. I think it was that the players were thinking, well, hang on a minute, we're playing Cardiff. This was 2017. Cardiff playing a certain way. And, um, you know, if we go and hunt in this way, we're, we're going to get picked off. So they basically decided to drop into a mid-block, which frustrated the hell out of Cardiff. Cardiff were kicking the ball out of play for throw-ins, and they were trying to go wide. They couldn't find the play in between or anywhere. They didn't know what to do. So then as a result of that, we ended up breaking and we beat them and, uh, yeah, we beat them or 2-2 draw in one of the games as well. And, uh, you know, they got a result. To me, that's a, an example where the game model for the club and the philosophy is X. But, excuse me, players have gone perhaps against that but got a result. Well, is that wrong? So for me, like if we're looking at even the World Cup, We've seen that a lot of winning teams, there was more receptions um, in behind. There was more uh, players actually staying between and playing between defensive lines. And there was more offers to receive in behind, which led to more breaking lines and progressions. But then how, if you actually look at the detail of how those occurred, they weren't scripted. They weren't like, you know, as patterned as people might try to label they were actually very, very unpredictable and different. So then that, to me, lends that question of, well, then what is the game model? Should it be? You know, and how does that influence your practice design and how we're do developing players? So, yeah, it's interesting, Yaz, isn't it? You know, because, yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. You know, are the players that are going to do stuff that's so different? And can the game model almost be more flexible to encourage those players to... To, to to do stuff differently. Sorry, Tony, you've got come on. Yeah, feel free to jump in. Yeah, it was just just while you were talking there, uh, it came into my mind. I've been with some football people uh, across in Manchester this weekend, and uh, we were talking about. Uh, I guess it, it it links in a little bit. We were talking about Wimbledon back in the day when they they had their fantastic journey from uh, from well from non league really all the way up to to the old first division where they weren't uh, weren't too fussy about whose feathers they ruffled. Um, but I can think of one player in that team who you kind of think, well, he, he didn't belong there. And 
So, Laurie Sanchez was one of these players who, who was kind of really gifted on the ball, played his international football for the Republic, I think, at a time when uh, when they were uh, going through a really good spell. And you kind of think, well, how the hell did Laurie Sanchez, uh, sorry for those of you that are not of a certain age, um, how would he have, how did he fit into into that system and make it work so well? And actually, could a coach, uh, and this is no, um, this is, again, not meant to be disparaging, could a coach, how could a coach like Dave Bassett um, improve that player's game within that game model, or did he? Was he just like you were just saying? Actually, just let him get on with it because whatever he does, it it works in our system. You know, if he's giving it to somebody who can kick it sixty yards, then then fine. Let's let's just work around him rather than work against him or boot him out of the system. See, to me, that's fascinating because I just think. I don't know what the balance is because how many players is there a balance of having like eleven of those, or in which case if you have too many Mavericks, there's a challenge, isn't there? That that to me is fascinating. I don't know what your, your thoughts are on that, Tony, but I do think we if we if we need if we're asking for certain qualities of a player and we want to be unpredictable, and you've just given another example there, going back in history, and I'm sure there'll be many more. Why aren't we creating models, if that's the optimum word, that allow for that freedom or, you know, instead of being more prescriptive? Because everything we put on these PowerPoints is quite descriptive around it can only look this way. But as you just said, there are players, like whether it was Laurie Sanchez or whoever, that will do things unpredictable. Joe Cole, you know, Eden Hazard in modern era or, or even some of the others, they're, they're doing this like cat and mouse, aren't they, against other players? And that's how you're scoring goals or preventing them in some cases. I think I think the good coaches um, recognise these abilities, um, these skills, uh, these these traits that that those type of players have, and find a way to fit them in into the game model. And maybe this is where where the game model becomes much less rigid you know yes we have a certain uh, set of beliefs a set of ideals that we would like to play to but actually uh, just give the ball to him and he'll go and do what he wants again going back a few years now we had a player at, uh, at Rotherham in the academy um, and we were trying to we were trying to be like a lot of academies at the time I'll, I'll almost guarantee that in the early days of the of the PMA and the EPPP, if you had one academy performance plan and looked at Word and, and seen who created the document, there's probably one name on about 500 different academy performance plans because everybody just used to share stuff. Nobody knew what it was like. So everybody apparently was trying to play out of the back and through the thirds. But we had this lad called Alex Kiwamia, and actually, he was the, the fastest kid in the country across about three age groups. So if the other team pushed up, you push the ball over the top and let Alex chase it because nobody could catch him. Um, and it got him a move uh, to to a, a Cat 1 club, a Premier League club. Um, but well, he went was, to Chelsea, didn't he? And yeah. I, I was going to ask you about Alex 
because obviously he had it in his DNA anyway. Chris was obviously a decent player and played for Arsenal. His dad obviously played lower league. Yeah. But what what what's your thoughts on that? Because that's what I'm curious where you're going with it. Well, I just think that if, if we'd have tried to play a different way, would that have negated all his qualities? Would it have been irresponsible of us because actually the other ten players are part of a team and and a, a way of getting a result, which football is about results, you know, at the top level. It's about development as you go through the ages. Yes, perhaps that we should have worked a little bit more with him on playing with his back to goal, for example. But that's not playing to his strengths. So, I guess it's um, it's interesting because a bit like the other boy who went to Man City, Sadu Diallo, different kind of player, but playing at a at a lower, a, a much lower level club, he was way too good for us. Probably too good for some of us as coaches, if I'm honest. Um, went to Man City, but then you kind of think, right, well, where are you now? And don't get me wrong, again, they're, they're professional players playing at a level far in advance that I could have ever managed as a player, but they they've hit a stumbling block somewhere on their particular journey. Can I jump in? Can I jump in and say something? Yeah, go for it, Adam. Jump in, yeah, it'd be great. I I love listening to you guys. It's so good, so insightful, and I love the different stories, and I can relate to loads of them. Um, I want to share sort of something on topic with you guys. When I was at Brighton, and I was there for a few years, um, Cat 1, under-14s, we went up to Tottenham for a game, um, and we played the way we play through the thirds, possession-based football, exactly how it's been directed to us to teach the game. Uh, no problem with that. Enjoyed it a lot of the time. And we went up there and we lost 5-1. Not that the result matters. And we learned a lot from it. And one thing we did learn was they're just probably a little bit better than us at it. No problem. Anyway, when we come back and we had to play them at our place in about three or four weeks' time. And we sat down. With, we had a meeting before about it was just me and the players. There was no sort of higher staff there. And we spoke about how do you want to approach this week? And they said, can we do it differently? And I said, I I probably should have gone higher and got clearance on it. But I said, let's do it differently. What's your plan? And we we come up for, um, we all got together, there's about 16 of us, and we had two meetings in the week about how we wanted to sit in deep because we had very fast forwards and we wanted to sit in with pretty much of a low block. We had certain principles that we applied when they crossed the halfway line around pressure. Um, And really, we just played counter-attacking. Now, for a team that, were very hell-bent on keeping the ball and possession stats have to be high. I know from the statistics, we had 27% possession. We won the game 4-0 through five counter-attacks, ball over the top, quick forward. One of them scored a hat-trick. The other one got the other goal. We won 4-0. Now, the story doesn't end there. Um, I went after like that evening when you're sharing all the results and all that in the WhatsApp groups and stuff, all the different age group scores are coming in, all the all the scores are coming in like Spurs won this, Spurs won that, Spurs won that game. And then today I put like, well, we we just won 4-0. And they said, what's the match report? And I said that we did it a bit differently. And I told them what we did, like I just told you. And they all went, well done, thumbs up. Four days later, I'm in the office having to explain it. And I got a bit of reprimanding. I got a bit of telling off for going against the club's model. But the way I did it, and I sat there in the office and I said, look, I just wanted to show them that there's more than one way of playing. And there's other ways that you can achieve stuff not just through this. And another thing that I took home with me when I went home and I left the office a bit upset was 
80% of these boys aren't going to play professional football, probably. A lot of them are going to go and play non-league where they're going to have to learn different styles and different ways of playing. Um, and that, that I won't go on too long, but that kind of stuck with me for a little bit. Um, and another factor I'll add into that, at the end of the season, when you have your player reviews and you're asking them how it went, what you think this year, what went well, what didn't go so well, when you ask them all their favourite game, every single player went Tottenham at home, Tottenham at home, Tottenham at home. So I'd like to know all your thoughts on that, you guys. Yeah, just a really quick one, Adam. I think it's brilliant that you brought that up because for me, this is where the question really comes back to it. If we've got a game model in the quote-unquote development stages for these players, who's it for? Mm. Who is it yeah. actually for? Because, as you quite rightly said, a large majority won't go and play professional football. And an even smaller majority will... So even a smaller number than that will be... Awesome. You know what I'm saying, anyway. A smaller number that will actually go on and represent that particular team. Mm. So it's... Well, who's the game model for? Get it. We want you to play a certain way, but surely we need to, you know, if we, if we want to think about the outcome of the academy, and I think this is a real real key question here, right? Depending on what level you're at, depending on what academy system you're in, depending on the economic structure of your, of your organisation or your club, you're all going to have fundamentally different reasons as to why you've got an academy. Some because you've been mandated to have one, because if you're in the Premier League and they say to you, you know, I think the Premier League have now enforced this thing where everyone who's in the Premier League needs to have, a, needs to have an academy. And then, you know, even beyond that, if you want to be in European competitions, which, you know, a club like Brighton are now on the cusp of being, and same with Brentford, you actually have to have an academy in place by next season or you can't represent the Premier League as a European in a European competition. So there is there is those parts to it as well. But then fundamentally, it's still an outcome that you're, the organisation is trying to achieve by having the academy in place. So, i.e., Man City, realistically, they're not going to produce a player that's coming up coming to their first team. And if they do, it's going to be an incredibly rare opportunity, such as Phil Foden, right? How many others are in their, in their first team right now or even in their squad that are actually from the academy? So a large amount of them, and similar to Chelsea and, you know, you have a big clubs, you might have something very similar where players are just being produced to sell them on. And that's fine if that's the, pro, if that's the, the model they're going to go with, if that's, if that's the outcome they're going after. But that's not going to be the case for every club. So then it's like, surely then it makes more sense to help these players develop and understand how to play the game. Because you'll know I well... Could you try again? No, I can't. Sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> surely you'll get to a point, right, where... And it's not to put a cap or a ceiling on anyone in particular. But you'll have a, you'll have a, you'll have a strong idea of by the time they get to 16, 17, 18, even 19, before they even finish their 21 stin, as to whether this player is going to go on and play at your club. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that's going to be influenced by the manager and the people involved and the other people around it and what the manager might see on a particular occasion. But largely, you'll have an idea of whether this player is going to have a future at this club or going to go elsewhere. So surely then it becomes an individual development plan and it becomes a focus to develop that individual to continue staying in the system but understand what it looks like to play in different game models and different ways of playing. Exactly what you've just done there. Now, my, my challenge, um, um, I'd throw it out there, is I don't think we do enough early enough to help the players understand different ways of playing. But that's just my two cents on what you said. I think what you said, you know, you've made a great point, Adam, and and I I welcome it. And if anyone's got anything else they want to add to it or question, please join us. Let us know your thoughts. Get involved because this is an opportunity for us to share information, share ideas, and even challenge one another so we can get, you know, further, further deeper into the insights of what can be coaching in this world. Gerard, sorry. Adam, sorry. Tony rambled on, but go for it. I think, to be honest with you, I like what Adam said. I don't think I can say it better than 
what you and Yaz just just uh, did without regurgitating the same info. I, th- I, th- I think it just lends that question again of who, we, as you just said, who are we creating this for? But also, like, are we really considering the individual needs or characteristics because their journey is going to be so different? They're all going to, you know, it's not to put a limit or a ceiling on anybody because I don't think we can do that. But ultimately, everyone's going to find a level. And then are we creating an environment where we can allow them to to find that potential or, or exceed it in some cases and go beyond it? You know, and I just think this is a great conversation because to me, it's making it more clear to me that anything that we do that doesn't allow players to be adaptive almost needs to be ripped up a little bit. Because if we're putting something on paper... And then, like, you gave the example there, Adam, and I've been in those same shoes where you've been reprimanded, but that's killing creativity. But then we're saying we want these qualities. We know that players who, who typically sort, solve problems and, and create those match-winning moments that get you out of the shit, well, that's done through improvisation a lot of the time, or it's done through just creating enough... You create your own look, don't you? But it's just creating certain circumstances that just lead to a goal. Well, then we need to, I'm not saying have complete freedom, but we've almost got to wrap our heads around creating a model that is more an individual model, you know, that that develops those players to get to the level that we want them to get to. And then that impacts the game model because then our game model is perhaps, and it should be, is um, if these are qualities that you like, is flexible, adaptable, allows players to change shape, allows players to, do what you described, Adam. Allows players to operate within their own genius. Um, that's a phrase I'm going to use a lot. Operate within your own genius, because mm. if they've got this intelligence, we can tap into it. So I think you, I think you're spot on, and it'd be interesting because I know you've got a talent ID. You know, it's it's that background then of them. How does that influence the type of players you recruit in the building? You know, because are we? I'm at a wrestle right now, where we've got this game model. We've got this vision of how we're going to play. We've got these position-specific profiles. We've got all this X, Y, Z. Right, so then we're going to recruit players for these characteristics. And we're quite prescriptive and detailed on these slides and what have you. And I'm just thinking, how many players are we eliminating? And also, we create an environment where we're recruiting players to operate on conformity versus intelligence. You know, we're just bringing players in to be like, fucking do as I say. And then, and you know what I mean? Or we actually say, no, like, we can actually have a bit of creativity here. I don't know what your thoughts are or anyone else's. I think, sorry, when we talk about, you know, if you, again, I'm just looking at the, the title of the Twitter space, how might developing individuals impact my game model? Within the frame of your game model, you can keep your game model, but you've still got to remember that although it's one team, that team consists of 11 individuals at any one time. And, you know, up to however many, 16, 20 within your group. So whatever age they are and however many you've got, they've all got their individual characteristics. Yes, you might have two right backs, but one right back might be an out-and-out defender, kick them over the touchline, the touchline's your friend. The other one might be a um, Kyle Walker right back who gets on the ball, drives up the pitch, able to put balls in like... a. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, for example. So although you've got two, three players who, who play in one position, the characteristics that they bring to your game model 
you still have to cater for. Otherwise, all you're going to get is 15 robots. I think a lot of clubs are renowned for recruiting the same type of players. So, for example, like I know at Brighton that you can spot a Brighton player a mile off, but is that going to work for them when they go to another club? You know, are we preparing them for a career away from Brighton as well as at Brighton? I just didn't. I just didn't feel that we were. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think just echoing what I said earlier. I think this is the key part, right? You're looking at at some stage, you have to look at the individual, and I, and I appreciate that. You know, we're we're kind of moving this in a direction where we're looking at more on a academy based type type setting. But regardless of where you're at, you've got to look at. You're going to look at a certain individual. You've got to recognize this person is not going to have a long term based on the current circumstances, based on current trajectory of where everyone else is at, it doesn't look like this person is actually going to be here long. So how, how how are we supporting this player and getting the relevant experiences and getting the relevant support that's going to allow him to keep a career in the game? Now, it, 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 it takes you back to another question which we've kind of debated a few weeks back, I think, um, around well, what's the purpose of the academy? If academies weren't there, would we still have professional players well fundamentally yes we would and what's to say that even the academies and these philosophies and these game models that are in place are even the things that are actually developing these people into these top footballers i don't know if there is you know, just throwing it out there and i'm not saying there's right or wrong to it either but essentially what you know coming back to what you said adam is that what we're doing to prepare these players to go into another area of the game that, you know that isn't where they're currently situated and i think it is a question worth asking the challenge and the question I'll throw out there to all the coaches to think about, though, is that outside of the organisation that you're operating in, how well do you understand what the game could look like to even be able to support the players in preparing them for that? <clears throat> or are you only tunnel visioned in the way that you see the game and how the organisation that you work for sees the game? Because that's another challenge for coaches to think about as well as, you know, they don't have a direct impact on how they can then develop the individuals, right? Um, but yeah, that's just my two cents on that. I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Tony or Gerard. No, I think Tony hit that, didn't he? I mean, it's um, sorry, Tony. So feel free to jump in. I mean, I, I think Tony hit that. I like the question he asked, which was, "How self-aware are we?" Like you made a point there, Tony, even earlier. Of, were we good enough to even work with this player? Like in our own skill set, this player might have been. You give an example. One player might have been even too good for the demand of the coach, and I think that self-awareness piece is key. Just knowing what are our strengths, what are our performance gaps that we need to sort of develop more knowledge in to then be able to support players or or signpost them to someone who can. Um, I think that's a huge one. I don't know if you you have any other points, Tony, or... I I just think going, going to, to the point that Yaz was making there about how well do we prepare them and how well do we actually know what their next step might be I've made a point of looking at um, some of the sort of the non-league clubs in our area where when I was working at, at Doncaster uh, where where if our players don't get a contract where are they going to end up uh, and it staggers me at, at times that these young lads at 18 and 19 that we've tried our best with we've got them technically proficient, physically the best we can get them. Can't get a game playing for local sides. Now, some of that I understand is because local league managers have their favourites, they're 
paying their mates in in some cases to play football. So any other, you know, when these young academy players come out with the coloured boots and the fancy stepovers, you know, they're not they're not geared up for for local non-league football. And sometimes it takes them a couple of seasons. And that's that, in my opinion, is probably where one or two of them do start to leave the game because they come out of this, you know, they've, they've been borderline professional. They've been treated like professionals for two years. They, for a long time, have had the idea that they could become professionals. All of a sudden, they can't get a game at the dog and duck. I think I mean, a lot of academy players come into non-league football. It's quite a culture shock for them. I think particularly if they haven't been out on loan and stuff like that. Um, you know, they've been learned to keep the ball and build possession up and play, get your foot on it, get in the space, get in the ball. And then they suddenly join a team where the manager's just going to miss the midfield out and smash it in those corners and hit the big man. They've got to play off that. And then they, I mean, I imagine for them, I mean, I've never been there, but I imagine for them that must be incredibly frustrating. How am I going to fit into this? Is this what it is now? But did the club do enough to show them that there's more than one way of playing this game? You know, there's no right or wrong. I don't believe there's a right or wrong in football. We've all got our own ideas on how we think we should should be played. But, I mean, non-league is very kind of, a lot of it's very low risk, you know. The managers don't want to take that risk of playing through the thirds, a lot of them. But I don't know what your thoughts are, but... I think it goes back. It's just, it, it's consolidating for me that that key message of how well are we doing to create an environment at any level, whether it's grassroots, advanced grassroots, academy, whatever it may be, to to give these players a rich experience where they they understand so many different ways to to operate within a game. You know, because often you know, see the points that are being made. If we've got this prescriptive game model that's you know we only defend on set pieces man-to-man or zonal or part zonal. We only do this. We only play through this way. We only play out this way. We do this this way. The danger of that then becomes is, you know, the, the players are limited, aren't they? Even when it gets to going away from principles, it goes more towards set formations and structures. The only, even those experiences, they might only be able to know how to play in a certain system or a certain way. And as you said, I mean, it, the, the, they're not... They're not able to be adaptable. They're always looking to the bench for the answer. And then they can't operate in probably what we'd call the real world. I think the other challenge as well is that because the academy world is so different to some other worlds, you know, and I've seen it where some players, they're almost, I mean, this is a topic for another Twitter space probably, they'll look down on the non-league or whatever because they might see the facilities or they might see the standard, do you know what I mean? And they'll be like, fucking hell, what's this? Because they're so used to a different clientele, a different environment, a different, what, you mean I've got to do this? I don't normally have to do that. And I, that's where, for me, I think we've got to, it goes back to, and um, I'll probably link it in with the webinar as well, but we, I think if we're developing, if we're talking about these decision makers, these problem solvers, we've got to have a model that, gives players a rich experience, a varied experience that taps into their genius, taps into their perception so that they know how to operate under changing circumstances. I think that's going to be a, a game changer, you know, and then you're developing them so that whatever level they land at, they can they can operate quite well. And, you know, if they've got the motivation to to push on in competition level, they can potentially bounce back. You know, I think otherwise we're doing them a, a disservice. 
and I, I know we're um, not a, a plug plug per se, but we've got this webinar coming up. You know, for anyone listening, we're, we're running an FA accredited webinar next week on Wednesday, where we're talking about developing decision makers. But ultimately, what does that look like? Whether it's from the organisation, the practice design, and some other little considerations around how you you sort of priming players to land for the session. Great opportunity for anyone who's looking to get some extra CPD and gain some CPD points. You know, feel free to to check it out. Uh, Yaz, I don't know if there's any other topics we need to probably unpack or even go into more detail on. Or what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean. I'm just conscious we've got a couple more speakers here as well that wanted to share some thoughts. I don't know what their ideas are, but we'll start with Empower. We'll start with you first, mate. Appreciate you giving me the mic, man. Um, just listening to the last speaker, um, if there's anything I've kind of witnessed, um, I've come from the coaching background, I'm not so much in sport, but just, I guess, fortifying a mindset of a champion regardless of their um, entry point to the game. And I think there's a probably a, um, a missing culture or or tone within um, British sport where where they're, they're not fortified to understand that they know everything they need to know and everything else that they kind of want to do with that is kind of up to them and their own ambition and how they see themselves within the game um, and the impact that they're willing to have at any level, at any, um, you know, um, club value or set or wherever. Um, I think that introducing that idea to somebody who's already confident in um, their understanding, it, it can be massively transformational in where, where you say leaders begin to step forward. Um, and, you know, it's just, I think it's, it's a series of encouragement, empowerment, uh, but not just in a corny kind of, yeah, you can do anything you sort of set your mind to, but letting them understand you have been honed for this. So um, just let them understand that they can, you know, change the status quo but then they have to be confident in their process and I think that idea especially from a young age can be massively transformational and impactful um, especially to other team members who witness this as well and before you know it um, you know you've got a team of champions because we're playing to to dominate the game or training to be champions and you know so I, I, I that's what I've witnessed anyway and it's why I don't see enough in kind of sport coaching and anything like that. Hope I didn't ramble, but that's my two pounds because you're worth more than two pennies, to be honest. No, I love that. Thank you very much for sharing that. We didn't get your name, but power to you too, man. <laughs> Lex, I believe. Alex, I don't want to get it wrong. Is that right? Sorry. Um, yeah, so I'm on my fiance's um, Twitter. It's Joe Scars. I am Rotherham United YDP lead. Um, lucky enough, as through my experiences to play, and then I've gone into the coaching kind of environment. Um, currently, do still play some professional at non-league. So, all the conversations that you've kind of since I joined, you've been speaking about in terms of you know good players in academies going out to non-league and um, managers who. I think someone just spoke about kind of not trusting and things. I think, I think a lot of developing individuals in academies, certainly when they get to 15, 16, uh, PDP ages, 18s, is they've, they've got to realise and, and understand that whenever they are going into senior football or, you know, first team environments or out on loan, they've, 
the amount of trust that gets put into the, them as players is basically the manager trusting them to keep them in a job because at the end of the day, the managers who pick the side, you know, whether it be Brighton or whether it be, you know, non-league as Tony said in, in South Yorkshire, they're all putting their trust in, in the 11 lads or the 16 lads to, to, to keep them in a job. So they've got to, they've got to be trustworthy. They've got to be trusted and, you know, whether that be that they, they're really good at the brilliant basics or whether it be that, you know, you know you, you can trust that player because he goes out there and plays with freedom. So when 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 it's what when they're one nil down, you trust him because he's gonna go wanna go and get the ball and he's gonna try things. So I think I I from my experience in coaching and, and like I said, coming from playing, um we focus on a lot of stuff on the field, but do we actually focus on developing individuals in terms of where are they at? In, in their heads when they go onto a pitch, where are they at when they when they go on, when they, when they go to that non-league club on loan, you know, from from Brighton to a to a, a non-league club down south, or you know, from a Doncaster to a, a step five club at North East Counties, because we get we get lads at my club now, uh, we play in North East Counties, which is step five, and you know, I, I look at some of the lads at Rotherham, I look at some of the lads at you know Sheffield United, and I'm like, and I think, well, really good players, but would would I trust them to go out on the field on a Saturday? And, you know, when it's chucking it down the rain in, in November and we've got a team who are playing direct against us, would I trust them to, to, to give me their all? And I think that's a massive, massive factor in football now where I think we overlook it quite a lot. I don't want to know if anyone's got any thoughts on that in terms of how trustworthy your players, do we work on that? Do we do we tell them how important that is? Um do we actually really, really focus on the basics and the brilliant basics and becoming brilliant at those basics? Because as I think as uh, Yaz said, or it might have been Gerard or Adam, how many players at, at our clubs currently are going to make it specially? That a lot of these players are going to end up non-league, step three, step four, step five, where the brilliant basics, if you're really good at that, you then end up, you then might end up going back into the football league and getting a second chance. I think it's a great point, and I think I just want to start by saying never judge a book by its cover because that was not the voice I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I think I think definitely a great point. I think it's, I think there, I think there needs to be more accountability, right? There needs to be more honesty from you know between the coaches and the players and understanding where they're at. Um, that's part of the development process. I mean, I've, I know I've certainly had those conversations with with players in the past where it's you know they're questioning or they're challenging why they're maybe not getting as many minutes or why they're not getting to play in the position that they want to play in. Fundamentally, I can't trust you to follow an instruction. I'm not saying that you have to do everything I say, but fundamentally, if I can't trust that you're going to go out there and follow the instruction, and there's one thing following it, but there's another thing you saying that you understand it and you actually you're able to explain it and then you just don't do it. So, you know, if, 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 the, if the part that means you can't follow it means, you know, it's fundamentally down to the fact you don't understand it. And that's one thing. And that's, that's where I come in as a coach and I have to try and take more responsibility and more responsibility to get you to understand the messages that I'm trying to communicate with you. But if you're then understanding that message and not communicate and, and not following through, then I can't trust you. Because what you're always going to do is you're always going to look to cheat. You're always going to look to find a way to not get the job done or cut corners and we can't rely on that when it when, when the pressure really matters. So I think that's a really, really key point to make there as well. Gerard, I don't know if you want to add or Adam. Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, you know, that 
that we don't want to make these players robots by any means. It's not, I'm not saying that by anything. I'm just, you know, I look at when we, you know, we're lucky enough to play like Huddersfield Town. We've got a friendly against Huddersfield a week on Tuesday and we'll play there under-19s. And I know for a fact that the coach at Huddersfield will say that it's the best game that they'll play all season because, you know, they'll, they'll be up against different challenges. They'll be up against real men. They'll be up against a team who play... Like, like people have mentioned, direct and horrible, and you know, but are we are we giving the young players enough experience of, of these type of games for when they do fall out of, of our academies at, at, at under sixteen or under eighteen or first year pros or under twenty ones? Um, then then they've experienced challenges like this and they know what they then actually they might be going into. Yeah, no, I get that. You know, it's a, it's a great point, but I think the question I'll throw back out there and it's for everyone to think about and maybe ponder over is how much experience do we have or knowledge do we have around the game beyond what we're currently working in? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, uh, actually, understand what the variables are, what the considerations are about. <laughs> or, you know, could it be we're not doing enough work and maybe building our networks in terms of if we're not the skilled, you know, if we're not the skilled or experienced and knowledgeable individuals in that area, we've got someone who can we, we can lean on. That is within our close network, if that makes it. Um, power over to you, man. Um. Yeah. Sorry. Shakar on. Yeah. What was your name, by the way? I can't be calling you Power for the rest of the night, man. <laughs> um, do you know what? Do you know what? For, for Twitter, for now, if it's okay with you, I prefer to just go by the name of Power. To be honest, if that's all right, I'm not yeah. adding. Any, I'm not a convict on a thing, but just you know, yeah, I'm doing music. And I, long story. No worries. Um, but but I I think I think that's a what you mentioned there just at the very end there. I think it also puts the challenge challenge or um, pressure on us as coaches to kind of go deeper into that skill set. And, um, you know, that that mastery of being able to, you know, coach a team to victory, um, regardless of the um, different skill sets or um, challenges we may face. And I think maybe it's, it might be a style. It might be a style of, um, you know, what we perceive as what's acceptable of how to speak to your teammates or so on, especially within this new kind of generation where you kind of don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But at the same time, if we're not able to really... Um, emphasize the importance of maybe their own um, their own ability to show up really really show up and show out based on what they've been trained on um, and if they if we don't have that honest kind of communication as coach to team and team to coach you know there'll be a there could be a short lapse in how much each one shows up or how much we assume each one is showing up I guess and how much trust is then built between the two parties um, and I guess it's probably a, maybe a very American style, I guess. Um, the only reason why I say that is because their, you know, their attitude towards sport doesn't necessarily say anything about their skills per se, but it's it's a lot of it's based around just the attitude and the whole, you know, vibe that they bring to the sport. Um, and yeah, yeah. and I, I, I think that's, it's a cultural thing, I think. Um, and I think, from my experience, it's been a massive, massive um, shift in in what players think is possible and what they're willing to try and not try and also what they're willing to communicate. 
um, without fear of, you know, offending their coach um, and also being humbled by their responsibility as well um, as each individual player is playing their position. So, yeah, I, I would say that and playing around with that should kind of bring bring some stuff. You know, the British standard is pretty high. So, you know, let's remind our champions of that. No, I think tonight I just want to add to everyone, you know, what a great conversation. I think it's been really good to to get some new people in we've not seen before, some great experiences. And, you know, from my end, I'm, I'm sure Yaz, you agree. It's it's really great to everyone who's spe- you know, spoken and, and contributed. Um, so thank you to that. And, you know, this isn't a accredited event. Um, I'll put a little message out there now where, as long as you complete the, the self-reflection form, which is a, a short couple of minute task, um, you'll be eligible for the FACPD. So please make sure, you know, if you're looking for that, um, you complete that. We have got a webinar coming up next Wednesday. So it'll be from eight, uh, sorry, two till uh, 3.15, I think my time, USA. In the UK, slightly different. So you're looking at 6.45 till... 8.15 Wednesday, sorry, it's 12.45 till 2.15 in the in the US. Um, great opportunity to come on, credit event, developing decision makers. We're going to unpack a little bit more detail of, of what we've done tonight. And for anyone listening as well, we've run a series of these, haven't we, Yaz, over the last few weeks, where we started with the first episode, June 18th, around where do I start my session objectives? And that sort of led on to designing practice for learning, and then last week's, which was planning for individuals whilst developing the team, and then obviously tonight. So for anyone, you know, tuning into these events, feel free to listen to some of the previous episodes as well. It's a great opportunity. Um, I'll hand over to you guys in terms of the deadline as well, you know, because a quick deadline for anyone who's got to submit their CPD. When is that? And then once they've tuned in, they can get that. What's What's the date for that, mate? Yeah, no, really, really good one. Um, so just just to give everyone some insight, we've obviously Gerard said that we've going to be running these uh, spaces for the past four weeks as part of this series of uh, CPD opportunities. Um, you have until the twenty third of July to complete the tasks relevant to all the four four spaces sessions that we've done so far, um, and also if you wanted to get involved in the webinar, obviously that's next week on the Wednesday. Um, once that's done. Uh, your your CPDRs will be submitted on the on the twenty third. Um, after that point, there'll be no eligible CPD for those sessions in particular. But we will be looking to release a new set of a new series of uh, conversations, which is going to take place over the next kind of five to six weeks um, in due course. So definitely get that in if you if you want to if you want to get those CPDRs in. And even if you don't, you know it's just a massive um, massive appreciation from us, really. You know that everyone here is involved, you know, constantly seeing new faces, which is fantastic to see. Um, obviously, Tony, you know, ever-present. Gerard, obviously, you know, co-hosting the sessions with myself. But Adam, you know, very you know, very much appreciate you being involved tonight. Power yourself, Lex, I can't remember what your name was, but um, never judge a book by its cover is what I'm going to call you. <laughs> yeah, drill, mate. Yeah, sorry. I'm on my fiance's Twitter, as I say. No worries. No worries. But no, but it's quick. So many new faces, and obviously, you know, it's just really just growing this community, guys. And I think it's massively important that we keep we keep doing it, we keep sharing ideas amongst one another, and you know, just really highlight that regardless of what experiences that we've got, we've all got something valuable to add to the conversation. You know, there's going to be things that 
we discuss and we have insights on that we might not have, you might not have considered and vice versa. So it's really important that you guys do get involved in conversations. And if you're not confident enough or you're not comfortable enough to kind of come up and speak on the on the sh- on the chat itself, feel free to drop us a DM and share some views via that so we can bring that to the conversation too. Um, you know, I'm seeing so many new faces, but just you know, without me rambling on too much, you guys can obviously make sure that you follow myself and Gerard. Um, and if you haven't caught the conversation so far, you can go back through the Twitter channels, uh, find those, or you can also see them posted up on the Coaches Network podcast where they're released every Wednesday. Um, and you can find a whole host of other content on there as well. So please do get involved. Please do follow us. Please make sure you're sharing um, and stay in touch, guys. You know, it's been really, really positive to see this community grow and what hopefully long continues. Great job, guys. Cheers. Really appreciate it, Adam. Good evening, Tone. Good evening, Gerard. Good evening, everyone else that's been involved. And we'll take the next week, guys. Hopefully, we'll see you in the webinar. Make sure you stay in touch. Make sure you're following us. Have a great evening, guys. Gerard, see you guys. To get that info for me. Oh, <laughs> will do. Week. Will do. Will do. <laughs> Cheers, mate. No worries. Cheers, guys. Take care. Cheers. See ya. Bye. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.